I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. I had the honor of interviewing Trish McAvoy at our International Women's Day retreat at Soho Works, and she was an interview I had been really hoping for for a long time. I know Trish personally through my friend who happens to be her family member, and I just thought she was perfect for the focus, which was hype women, because every time I see her, she always stops to say something positive, something complimentary and inspiring to me. And I always appreciate every time we're together. So I was really interested. I thought I knew a lot about her. And it turns out that I was blown away. Everyone in the audience was so quiet, you could hear a pin drop because she was so enthralling in her story, in her positive mindset, in the way she looks at the world, her drive and ambition, her personal journey through life. I was knocked out by how much I enjoyed talking to her and I could have gone on, but I felt like, you know, it's time to wrap it up. So maybe there'll be a part two someday. In your life, Mm -hmm. in your 40 plus year career, because you founded... Almost uh, my company will be 50 years old in two years. (laughs) That is incredible in an industry that is so, I would say, trend-focused and some say very mean, (laughs) the beauty industry. It's a dog-eat-dog industry. You must be a shark. I I think to be successful, we all have to have a little bit of shark in us, but I don't think I'm a shark that often. I pull it out when I have to pull it out. I believe in, as much as possible, spreading the love, spreading the possibility, spreading the word of you can grow, you can do it. I've had a great journey. I can teach you how to fantasize and then get a plan together for your journey. That's the way I look at it. Who have been the hype women in your life or hype people? My wind beneath my sail, my deceased husband. I could have done nothing without him. Nothing. Anytime I came up with a concept, I never heard the word no. I never heard why do that ever. Now I have the great fortune of having met my present husband and he is very similar to my deceased husband and Again, very positive. Anything is doable. There is no holding me back in his eyes. And then I have the great fortune of having a very, very, very close, close friend. And um, she's been with me for 38 years. She started off washing faces in my office. I... um, used to do skincare many years ago, and she was my assistant. She's now my general manager of my company. She is my dearest female friend. She is my confidant. She is my sounding board. 
We have never had a difference. We've talked everything through. And um, I have a very lovely family. And I am fortunate that a family member is right here. My mm-hmm. wonderful Marcy Panzer. And um, she is someone I respect very, very much. Dear Annabelle Stationery, I well, can't hyper. say enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. Marcy's my best friend from college, by the way. So talking about when we talk about friends and hype women and people who have, uh, you know, who are always there and always supportive, those are the incredible relationships that you have in your life. So rolling it back a little bit. And I just want to say one more thing. The closest relationship I have in life and very, very, very meaningful is the relationship I have with myself. The relationship that I have with my mind, the relationship I have with my actions, and how I have grown over the years. How do you cultivate that relationship? What does that look like? Many years ago, I had a tragedy that happened in my life, and it taught me very young that no one owes you anything. Life can be wonderful, and in a minute, it can change and be horrible. And you have to be strong, and there are principles to living. And I was fortunate enough to have had wonderful people around me, but I also read a book that made a big difference in my life, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this book is amazing. Seek first to understand. Think win-win. Begin with your end in mind. And it's an exercise that if you go through it, it makes all the difference in the world. That's really interesting. So you started going inward. Was this before oh, I you went started? In, I went your... inward. I think I was born thinking inward. <laughs> okay, really so you already preconditioned at mm-hmm. some point to really try to self-optimize in a certain way I f- or to understand yourself. I feel that in life, it's all how you react to life. And I had a unusual life. I was born in Dublin, Ireland. My mother was German, my father Irish. My father flew for the Berlin Airlift. That's how he met my mother. And I had a magnificent grandmother that owned a perfumery and restaurants. And I look at the beginning of my life and I was born in 1950. And that was five years after World War II and lived in Berlin, Germany. I mean, a city that had to be rebuilt. And my grandmother was Jewish. My grandfather was not. They survived the Holocaust. And um, I learned at a very young age that everything is possible. After the war, when um, I was born, my grandmother went to work and had such a positive outlook. And my grandfather had been entertainer. And they just showed me at a very young age that everything is possible. And I was very spoiled. I was the center of attention. And um, then my mother decided that I really should live with her. And I learned the real world, which was a world of difficulty, a world of a lot of challenges, became 
to America when I was 12 and um, moved to Atlanta. And it was a world of all the girls looking alike, sounding alike, being alike. And you're like, wow, this is such a perfect place. But I don't fit in because I'm European. I, you know, English is my third language. My first two languages, I do not speak well now, but it was my third language. And I realized that, you know what, you've got to find your way inside of yourself, inside of yourself. And I knew from the very beginning of my life that I loved makeup and beauty and making people feel good. So how did you wind up becoming a makeup artist? Tell me the rest of the journey. Oh, I ended up being a makeup artist because my grandmother owned a perfumery. I was in that perfumery every day. And um, my aunt was a dancer. And so she was putting makeup on every day. And it was just something that to me was fascinating. It was very much like if you were brought up with a great person in your family that cooked well food becomes easy. It's something that comes naturally to you. That's not me um, <laughs> at all. But um, it came very natural. And I saw the power of beauty at a young age, the power of fragrance at a young age. When one looked in the mirror and liked the reflection, they walked out differently than when they walked in. And um, yeah. So, and you, so I did makeup on all my friends at school. And at the age of 19, I walked into a department store called Tallheimer's in Richmond, Virginia, and asked for a job. And I was very fortunate. I had a magnificent leader. And um, he said, you know, welcome to the world of beauty. And if you do this well, it will take you far. And I believed him. And I had a manager that was very supportive of me. And um, within a year, I was in New York working for Estee Lauder, doing trainings and television. And it, it just happened. I was hardworking. I walked into the cosmetic department. I knew that the power of feeling good about yourself is everything. And with that, at a young age, I knew what my mission was, and that was really to make people feel good about themselves. I knew I couldn't be a shrink. I wouldn't have the patience. But this was, you know, a way of making people feel good about themselves. Beyond the self-confidence necessary mm -hmm. to do that and just the self-possession of feeling like a person who can walk into a department store and create an entire life path and had so many, such a windy journey in early childhood, did you have an entrepreneurial zest? Were, were you an uh, ambitious kid? Ambitious is an understatement. Okay. I... um didn't see myself as ambitious. I saw myself as someone that knew that I had one life and I knew how I wanted to live that one life and that I knew that I had a talent for what my passion was. And um, because of that, it came very easily. It's very much like being an athlete. And if you're a baseball player and you can 
pitch fast. You've got a talent. I was born with the talent. And what I did with that talent was dream. I had a vision and then I had a plan and then I executed the plan. And I thank so many people along the way. I did nothing on my own. Nothing. At what point did you read the seven habits of the highly successful person? Like where, it, yeah, where in is, the journey it is, is, is that? It is. Um, it's written, I, it's that's written a really by, famous book. It's I've, written by Stephen Covey. I um, read it in my late 30s. Okay. So at, and when did you start your makeup line? At 25. 25. Mm-hmm. So you're out there and you're hustling and you're doing makeup. I, I never saw it as hustling. Do you know the way I looked at it always my life? I looked at it as an adventure. It was an adventure. And I was very thankful for something that you're all going to think I'm, you know, well, out there. But I was very thankful that I lived in a place where there was no war. Because That's all a really I, interesting perspective I, of I heard about positivity. War. I heard about war a lot from my grandmother my mother, because they survived war. And I realized how very lucky I was to not live in a war-torn place. So right off the bat, appreciation came into play. Appreciation for being able to walk down the street and do what you want. I mean, little things. And I didn't find anything that difficult. And I don't feel that I was ever, I was a shy child until I wasn't. And it, it really had to do with visualization within myself, my dream, and really doing it my way. What was the dream? The dream was copy diem, seize the day, and to be happy. That was the dream. Is it still the dream? Oh, I'm living the dream. <laughs> I mean, I, I have the great fortune of having young people that work with me here today that I just feel, you know, I'm tough on them sometimes. I'm very like, why do I have to do this? Because you know what? You'll see later. <laughs> you know, I really don't like that person. You'll get over it. You'll like them later. Uh, it, it's, you know, life is the one thing that I think about a lot. Nothing remains the same. Nothing. Nothing. If you think it's staying the same, nothing. Your children are going to grow up. Your husband's going to get older. You're going to get older. You're going to, uh, everything changes. I met you by chance. And how mm -hmm. lucky am I? I met you through my wonderful niece. Through Marcy. But your networks. Mm -hmm. That's how it all goes. So mm -hmm. how do you find then the inner sort of stillness to continue doing something and moving forward and to keep that same goal and to not get bogged down, which I'm sure in a nearly 50-year career, there are highs, there are lows, there are slogs where it just isn't fun anymore. It's always fun. I even found the war fun. When I say the war, meaning battles that you have in life, even that's fun because it's a matter of... In the moment you felt that way? I, I felt that I never felt bogged down by it. The worst, one of the worst things that happened to me was I had a CFO. I thought he was, wow, phenomenal. The numbers were good. Everything was good. And then one day, this young girl that works for me called me. 
She still works for me today. She was 18 when she called. She's 50 today. And she said, her name is Robin. She said, something's not right here. You really should come over here quickly. (laughs) And when we got there, he had been in the process for a few weeks of emptying my entire distribution center. (laughs) Had she not called me, I would not be sitting here today. Maybe I would be, but in a different situation. So how did I feel? My adrenaline started to go, and I like the feeling of adrenaline, and I don't mind a battle. So I went into that mode. So for me, even that was a way of learning the next thing I had to learn. My partners think that I am a like relentless optimist, but I think we might have met somebody <laughs> who actually beats me. I'm like, wow, I'm really impressed by the ability that you have to see a upside and the glass half full in every situation. I want to be happy. And there and I period. I, I feel that way in life where like my sort of baseline is happy. And so what I'm doing is kind of figuring out how to get back to that place at all times, even if it means like doing mental games, really resetting my mindset. And that's the big one. Resetting the mindset. Resetting your mindset, finding a different way to think about something, telling myself a different story to get back to that like stasis. 100%. I do that all the time. I reboot. You seem very zen. Oh, I'm not zen. You're not. Okay. You, you're coming. <laughs> Am you, I zen? She seems very zen. <laughs> Am I zen? I am like, uh, no, 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 I am not zen. I, I'm zen in that I feel positivity, but I am, I'm wired. You're wired. Oof. Okay. So what? And I love it. Like, I love it. So for those who don't know, so Trish was, and is still is a makeup artist, but was a makeup artist who then saw a need in the market at the time. This was like in the 1970s where there were no makeup brushes. The way it happened was I had this lovely journey with Lauder. I um, worked behind a cosmetic counter. I was promoted to New York and um, I did little group classes. They taught me how to speak in public. They taught me how to do local television. And then I went into product development with Revlon and I ran New York for Ultima 2. And it was a learning time in my life. And I had a tragedy happen. My brother died at the age of 12. He drowned. And when that happened, it totally changed my thought process. I realized that I did not want to work for corporate America as much as they had given so much to me that if you can die at 12, (laughs) hello, why am I behind this desk? And um, I didn't work for a while. And one day, I went on a blind date and met my husband, Ronald Sherman. 
He was a dermatologist. We fell in love instantly. We moved in together very, very quickly. It was the 70s. It was, you know. <laughs> and um, one day I woke up. I do believe in destiny. Very much believe in destiny. And I said, I'm going to get a job today. And he said to me, but you told me you didn't want to go back to corporate America. I'm like, I know. And um, I left it at that. I walked down Madison Avenue and I went into a drugstore. And the name of the drugstore was Boyd's. And I went to the counter. I've always been fascinated with makeup. And um, they had a soda fountain and these fabulous looking people were everywhere. I'm like, wow, this is cool. And I'm going over some eyeshadow or lip color, who knows what. And the woman asked me what I had done in my life. And I told her, she said, why don't you work here? I'm like, okay, but I only went to it part-time. And um, I worked there for three months. In that three-month period, I had my whole life change. I met the most fascinating women. I was paid nothing. And I had a line waiting for me to do their makeup within three months. And I went to the owner's office and I said, I've got an idea. I think we should franchise this. It could really take off. But I would like a raise. I've got a business plan that I can show you. He said no to everything. I walked out with the book that I had had at the table. Everyone that saw me, I had them put their name, address, phone number in that book. And that book was my ticket. What I would do at night, I worked at the drugstore for the four hours. At night, I did photo shoots. And I met the most fabulous people. It was amazing. At Boyd's, I met makeup artists like Sandy Lindner, that was and is still one of the most wonderfully talented makeup artists. I met Lily Archenkloss that introduced me to her niece, Jackie Kennedy. I, the people that I did makeup on from that little drugstore became crazy. <laughs> And um, the photo shoots were fun, but I realized that really wasn't my thing. I really liked the one-on-one -on -one with people. I enjoyed lighting up someone's vision of themselves more than I liked decorating or painting a face on a mannequin. So I walked out of Boyd's, and I said to my husband, now I'm going to start a business. He goes, great, how are you going to do that? There was one thing that was missing at the time. There were absolutely no high-end professional brushes other than Shuramura out of Japan. And so what I did, I went and looked at Shuramura's brushes, looked at the quality, and then I went to a paint store and I noticed that most of the brushes were made by Grumbacher. So I called Grumbacher and I had them make me my first set of makeup brushes. And that's how it started. That's I worked an awesome out of story. My, that worked out of my apartment because I had my book. I had people coming in for makeup lessons and um, 
I would travel to California because they came from all over to go to this drugstore. And the drugstore was next to a lot of hotels. So I had a business. And how many years did you do that before you started the whole makeup line? Oh, it was quick. After the um, development of the makeup brush, I then took a little room in my husband's office and um, I said to him, we could really do something together here. And at that time, what dermatologists did, they either wet it or dried it or cut it. And I said, you know, between the wetting, the drying, and the cutting, people don't walk out of the office looking that great. <laughs> so we started with my doing makeup there and doing skincare there. And um, we were one of the first Medispas. You're a real visionary. Uh, no. Where what, does it no, come Where does the intuition it's not, come It's from? not that I'm visionary at all. I think it's more that I keep my eyes wide open. I keep my eyes wide open. I keep my ears, you know, very alert. That's what it is. It's this, this opportunity everywhere, everywhere. But you also have to be willing to follow your intuition and have the inner compass of, I can do anything. You know what I mean? Like you could have the ability to have an idea and talk yourself out of it 5,000 times and not follow I, through I, with it if you don't have the inner self-worth or confidence to actually do it. So overriding that or I, having I never the looked ability at it that to never looked at that go point. with it, trust yourself, I never know you can do it. Way. I never looked at it that way. I just looked at what do you have to lose? No regrets of the past, no fear of the future. I like and that. And that's the way I live. No, no regrets. regrets. And no fear. Fear does nothing. It totally paralyzes you. And regrets, you can't change. So you're so just living you in the there? present. Yeah. Living in the present yeah. and open to whatever opportunities you see as they come to you and yeah. whatever you feel like doing in the moment that you think is the right decision. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what the right decision is? I go with my gut and I'm 50% right and 50% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but no regrets, so it's okay. You know what? It doesn't do anything to regret. You can't change it. What's next? I know no living next? in the future. Next? Oh What's my goodness. next? What um, are you doing? You I really want to get a handle on building... I have a very strong community, and that's how I've been able in these very difficult times to not get hurt that much. I think the future for us is the people that work with me, that their future is bright, that they give the next generation the ability to feel good about themselves, that I can be there to be part of that journey with them. In the last panel, they were talking a little bit about envy versus jealousy. And in a world now that's saturated by beauty influencers mm -hmm. and podcasts mm -hmm. and people with constant, you know, everyone's got a line. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself, do people come to you for advice? Are you someone who looks at it as competition as fuel? Oh, I just love it. 
I love the competition. This poor girl right here <laughs> set up uh, along with this girl right here, uh, along with other people. Literally, I have rooms filled with makeup, all competitive. And I am looking at it all the time. And it is so exciting for me. And um, meeting and listening to people that are influencers, people that are not influencers, I, I, I love it. Um, to me, it's truly about never being jealous. It's about what are they doing? What's fabulous? How can I make what we have more fabulous? Jealousy, that doesn't even come into my equation. I just feel so lucky to be alive every day. You know, jealousy, jealousy of what? A bigger home? Uh, a, a bigger this, a more that? I was my happiest when I was just beginning living in a studio apartment. Things, you know, and the future, my goodness, the future is everything. It's fabulous. It's teaching people to really understand that how you decorate yourself can make you feel good. It's like walking into a beautiful room. When you walk into a beautiful room, you feel calm. You feel, you walk into a big mess. You're like, oh, I've got to fix this, you know? And it's how do we do this to this? What is your self-care? How I, do you take care of oh, yourself? I am totally, totally like a Cuban car. In what way? <laughs> a cu How many of you know what a cu you know, uh, what, what does a Cuban car look like? Polished, put together, but also and worked on a lot, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> going to Cuba, they loved the guy that loved his car so much. It was like a, his child. I and, like and and with makeup and skincare, you polish yourself, you paint yourself, and you know, yeah, yeah. But some people and, don't take the time for this self care. I'm wondering what what's your routine. Do you work out? Do you meditate? What what is part of I, Trisha's um, routine? I'm a big app person. I love Tracy Anderson. I barely do it, but I, I, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I have more exercise apps. And if you look on Instagram at what I like, it's almost all exercise, food. I mean, you know, interesting. But um, I get up early. And early can be 5 o'clock. Early can be 4 o'clock. Right? Um, or early can be seven o'clock and a um, cup of coffee. And my husband and I, we sit in one chair and we just meditate almost, even though it's not meditation. And we just think about the day, get ourselves ready. Um, then we work out either alone or together. And um, then my team comes and we start the day. And it's filled with... Um, a lot of plans, a lot of things we should do, a lot of things we didn't do, a lot of things we have to improve on. And yeah, the end of the day, I look forward to being with my husband, friends. I'm very, very fortunate to have a very close, close relationship with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law of my deceased husband. Love them to pieces. And we did not get along. We did not get along at all when we first were together. And now we're like this. 
And it's really a matter of understanding that I often say to the young ones that work with me when they're having a bickering time with each other, I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm like, my sister-in-law and I, we didn't get along at all. We love each other to death now. And it comes to fruition with them. You think it's just a matter of time? Time, dignity, conducting oneself with kindness, being there, being there. Trust is a big deal. Trusting, yeah. And you've, I've read something somewhere about mirror time that you have a... That's putting your makeup on, that's putting your, or if you don't wear makeup, you know, putting your skincare on and just thinking about the day. And it's the time that you have for yourself to face yourself. So I'm sure that there are people who are listening, who have an interest in starting a business either in the beauty industry or some other business that they would be interested in growing. What advice do you have when people come to you starting out today, especially in today's world, I which is very different? and foremost, do you love whatever it is? Because if you don't love it, you're never going to enjoy the process. And if you don't enjoy the process, you're not going to grow. So it's got to be something that naturally comes easy to you and to love some. I love makeup. I love skincare. I love anything beauty. It doesn't matter what it is. If you love it, you can be a successful person at it. Okay. I think we could do some questions. Do people have questions? I mean, I could keep going forever on this, but I want to open it up in case we've got questions. Go right ahead. Um. How do you ask for help when you are looking to transition or move forward and you want some help, but you've really been wanting to prove over time that you could do it yourself? Mm -hmm. I think the key in what you said is to be clear. If you know and are clear on what you need help with, then you have to think of, who you know or who you don't know that can help you. And in the world that we live in, I'm such a big believer in social media. I love it. People play it down all the time. They say horrible things. I find it has been nothing but positive for me. I have met the most wonderful women and I have reached out, I've DM'd them and asked a question and they've responded. Uh, I feel that it's extremely important to just be very clear. Who do you know? Who would you want to know? And then find a way to approach them. And again, in today's world, it's not that difficult. And if you try and they don't respond, go another way. If you can't go through it, go around it. That's the tactical answer to the question of asking for help. But what about the emotional piece of it? I'm not as self-assured as you think. What I am is I'm very, and you use this word, I'm very clear. I know what I want. I know what makes me happy. I know what makes me sad. And I am very much in touch with that. So with that said, how do you ask for help? Just ask. No fear. Just no ask. fear. That. No fear. Just ask. Question two, Kemp's dive, two-part question. The question was, 
a business challenge that as a leader you've overcome and how did you think about it and how did you do it? And then the second question that Kemp had was, what's your favorite product or skincare tip? Sunscreen. Sunscreen? Sunscreen. Do you go in the sun? Not really. I mean, I go. If you're in Florida, let's say, I know, do you wear, are you in a hat underneath a shade, in the shade? No, 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 I'm I'm not, you know, no, I wear sunscreen. I love Supergroup. I think they've done a great job with their sunscreens and yeah, I wear sunscreen. I've always worn sunscreen. I was careful when everyone looked fabulous and they were tan, you know. (laughs) I wasn't. <laughs> okay, so good good lesson to start young. The biggest challenge I've ever had was COVID hit. And I had to, I mean, I am self-funded. I have no backers. And um, what do you do? <laughs> that was horrible. And um, we had to lay off 95% of my team. And what we did is we found a way to be able to bring them back pretty quickly by doing Zoom makeup lessons. And again, I was fortunate. My book, when I started out of the drugstore, was this big and over the years, it had really grown. And we um, called people back by doing Zooms. That was a very difficult time because at the end of the day, for me, business was never about money. It was always about freedom and um, the freedom to be able to do what I loved. And I wanted to... um, show the people that worked with me that even in times of, uh, I mean, that it took the wind out of all of our sails, a little bit of time, a little bit of thought, and it all comes back together. But you have to use imagination. The first thing that you've got to do is to spend your money very carefully and um, asking for help Money's one of the first places you should ask for help. And you should ask for help by asking people that are in the field that you want to go into, how they got their financial pieces in place. You, you can't do it without money. You can't. And um, you can't do it alone. So the first person that I hired was a good assistant. And truly, I don't like debt. So you speak about growing your business. My business, I have not grown as fast or as quick or as big as I could have. I did not. And I did on purpose because I wanted the ability to say no. I, that was very important for me. I wanted the ability to um, build other people up. How do you get that. For me, I literally, before I started my brush business, I had enough money that I could have a business. So you got to start with money. And then if you do everything correctly, the money always comes. 
But yeah, I, I think the key is if you get too much money from someone, you're going to go through it unless you have really smart people that can guide you. So I was safer not asking for money and just building it very, very slowly. And today, I don't have an investor and I owe zero to the bank. And that's only because we're very careful. We don't overbuy. It's hurt us because we are in a period of time where you cannot get product. And had I spent more getting product five years ago, it would have been easier today. I am looking at Kemp, my CFO, who is nodding along in the back because- What are you thinking? No, that's very similar to how she thinks about the second shift and the way that we've grown and the way that we've put our business together, which is there are lots of other people we could point to who have taken in more money, built it up, and then you lose control and it doesn't necessarily become the business that you want it to be. And you're beholden to other people. So a lot of those businesses are not in business any longer and we still are. So the longevity and the perseverance, but it's, it's hard to know when to take the money. It's hard to know when to not take the money and be scrappy and where to put your attention and in, not to be well-funded is always a, a little it's, bit of a rub. It, oh, it is tough. <laughs> tough. Tough. It is tough. But my biggest currency is people. Our community that has used our products since I'm 25, and now their children and grandchildren are buying our product, that's currency. Because they stay true to us during the pandemic. They bought online. The stores closed. I mean, people are the most important. Who's around you? Knowing who your consumer is. Knowing who your community is. And not fooling yourself. I am not a high fashion brand. I'm not. I am an everyday lifestyle brand. Get up in the morning. You need a good vitamin C. You know, it works. Thank you for buying it. Yeah, yeah. I had a period in time where you could not get an appointment with me for a year. I had other people that worked with me. They, too, were very, very busy. And um, Don Mello came into my office, and she was a client for years, and she said you should really open Bergdorf Goodman. Because with that, you'll have another way of reaching your consumer. I was on the cover of Women's Wear Daily. It was the most exciting time. And then she took me to where my location would be. (laughs) I, I could have never made it. And I walked away and I said, I can't do this. And we had spent a lot on formulations and everything else, just walked away. And I said, listen, I've got my office doing great. You only have one first in anything. So I continued doing what I was doing. We were very, very busy. And 
it got to a point where we really kept people waiting too long. And a little article came out. It was this small in New York Magazine on makeup lessons and mentioned me. And then it just exploded. I called Bendel's and I spoke with Ed Bristow. And in his book, he speaks about this. The first day that we opened, he thought that we had one too many zeros. And Mm -hmm. it was just being able to walk away from something that looks so good and then shifting and waiting and then looking where the opportunity is. And Bendel's at that time was this wonderful niche store. And I was very, very fortunate. I had a phenomenal team. One of the team members still does Mossy's makeup to this day. It it was a phenomenal team. And um, from that, everything evolved. I didn't know Carlo was on your team. Mm -hmm. I love Carlo. (laughs) He's the best. Yeah, he is magical. Yeah. Always was. And he's magical on many levels. Not only is he a great makeup artist, but he's a great cook and he's a, he's a great stylist and he's just, he feels good. And he's a perfect example of someone that had a dream and continues to live his dream. And just to have been part of so many people's lives that have done well, it just makes me feel so good. It really does. Well, I'll say when you walk into Bloomingdale's in Soho, which is where I- the store I go to closest to my house, literally front and center, first booth in is Trish McAvoy. So whatever placement in all of those years, you know, you, you now are the first booth. And, and that's, that's saying quite a lot for a brand when you're competing against major conglomerate owned companies. With that, no money. With a <laughs> no cell money. <laughs> self-funded brand to have that placement, but also to have had that placement for so long. It's, I have a lot of people that work with me and have worked with me for a very long time. In my distribution center where people put little boxes together that we all use. You know, their children work for me. Their grandchildren work for me. And what I look at is the future. And I look at Chandler. I look at London. They're the future of our company. And it's all about that more than anything else. You know, how do you touch someone's life? And if you make someone feel that they have done something for themselves that created their growth. I'm not creating their growth. Anyone that works with me, they create their own growth. And in stores, you know, everything keeps pivoting. And um, I think that retail is going to change tremendously. The store chain that I'm in that I really feel is so clever is Blue Mercury, where everyone else has these major stores. Blue Mercury has little community stores. And they're a chain to really watch. Great tip. Okay. Last question. And then we'll let you move on with your day. This has been the most fascinating. I could continue talking all day to you. I have so many questions about just cultivating the mindset that you have and the positivity and clearness to have a vision and be able to see it and execute on it. So maybe we'll have to Control your emotions, control your thoughts. Control your emotions, control your thoughts is the Mm -hmm. advice? Is the advice. And anything can happen. Anything. Most people are their own detriment. Being reactive. 
being reactive, not thinking of consequences. Sometimes people that love you the most can be the hardest on you. And instead of thinking of that as a positive because they're trying to strengthen you, you become defensive. Don't do that. Okay. I love this conversation so much. (laughs) So uh, last question is just, we always ask for the podcast, how do you make work work for you? It's our tagline at the second shift, because what we are trying to do is help women to find work that works for them. So how would you say you make work work for you? Find your passion and don't make it work. Don't separate personal and business. You have one thing and that's called your life. It's your life, and it's how you put all the pieces of your life together. And Diane von Furstenberg once said, you can never have all three working in perfect balance. So be easy on yourself. Great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 